Hey y'all, welcome to Feasting on Truth. I'm Erin Warren. Today, November 29th, officially marks the start of Advent. Advent for me is a season to focus on Jesus's coming. That's what Advent means. It, it comes from the Latin word that means coming. It's a time to remember why Jesus came. And this year, for Feasting on Truth, we are studying through the book of Hebrews with the intent of seeing Jesus as our waymaker. Today, we'll be in Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, and the opening verses of this book give us a power-packed picture of who Jesus is. Like I said, this podcast is a companion to the Feasting on Truth study called Waymaker, an Advent study through the book of Hebrews, which is available on Amazon. It's 13 self-paced readings through Hebrews because, listen, I know this time of year is a busy one, so there's still time for you to get a copy and study along. You can find a link to purchase a copy of the study in your show notes. And if you haven't listened to the first podcast in this season, go back and listen to season two, episode one. It will give you some important context and background information as you study. So without further ado, here is a deeper look at one of my favorite pictures of Jesus in scripture. I am excited to finally get Advent underway. Um, Advent is one of my very favorite times of year. And when God laid it on my heart to move through Hebrews through Advent, I just knew that this time, these next few weeks of us walking through kind of this overview of this very rich book um, was going to be special. So I'm um, going to be in Hebrews 1 today and our reading for the Hebrews chapter 1 um, portion of our our Waymaker study through Advent focuses on Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. And so each podcast I will start by reading the scripture um, because as we're going to see today, um, there is power in his word. And so let me um, first pray over us and then I will read the scripture. Father, um, Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for him coming. Lord, I just pray that um, you will set our hearts and minds right, um, that we will um, that we will see you and Lord, what it is that you want to teach us through your word and who Jesus is and what his coming meant for us and our relationship with you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And I love how the author of Hebrews starts 
this book, these, this letter. Um, during these days, letters were often um, written first stating who the author of the letter was. Um, it's why Paul's letters start with Paul, an apostle of Christ. It's as if um, he's setting his credentials, the, his authority as to why you should listen to what's about to come after. Um, it's saying, I, I'm an apostle of Christ, and therefore he has spoken to me, and I'm going to share with you. And so the author of Hebrews, though, takes a very different approach that was countercultural. Um, and if you listen to the first podcast in this series, um, I talked about how we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. It's one of the few books that we really um, have, I'm not sure who wrote it. Um, and I actually kind of think that might have been his intent, because I don't think he wants us knowing and focusing on who he is, but rather Jesus. He starts with Jesus. He starts right in with who Jesus is. And it's as if he's saying, it's not about me, it's about him. So remember um, the context of this book, um, the author is writing to encourage these Jewish Christians to not go back to their old ways, to keep moving forward in faith in a time of intense persecution, um, not only from their government, but maybe even from their faith families and their, their blood families because they were Jewish, but had decided to follow Christ. There were many who had been um, dispersed. They had been kicked out of their synagogues. They may have even had their families turn their backs on them. They were fearful for their lives. And they're asking this question, is this what we thought it was? Is it worth it? Or should we just go back to what we knew? And the author is reminding them off the bat, who they said yes to. He's reminding them who Jesus is. And this is who our Jesus is. He is how God speaks. In the Old Testament, God spoke to his people through prophets, people like Abraham and Moses and Samuel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and all those books near the end of the Old Testament. But now he speaks through his son, Jesus, who wasn't a man, but rather fully God and yet fully human. One of my Bibles um, titled this section of scripture, God's final word. And I love that picture. Um, John 1, and there's a lot of parallels between um, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 and John 1, 1 through 5. Um, and I just finished um, a study on the book of uh, the first half of the book of John. We did John 1 through 10 over the fall. Um, and you can find those teachings in the season one of the podcast. Um, and then season three coming up in January will be us finishing the book of John um, together. Um, but in John chapter one, um, John references Jesus as the word. And this is not just the spoken word, um, but it's the embodiment of his, of God's wisdom. John uses this Greek word logos, which is this idea of an expressed thought or an idea. It's, um, it's more than just the words that come out of the mouth. It's the mind and the wisdom and the concept and the idea behind the words. Um, and this word logos, even in Greek secular philosophy, was um, kind of thought of this, my cultural study Bible calls it the divine reason that orders the universe. Um, it was not something that became flesh. It was just this idea that there was something out there and they were constantly searching for it. And so this idea that 
Jesus was the word um, and that he was kind of this, the all-encompassing wisdom of God in flesh. Um, he and the author of Hebrews here is saying that Jesus is the final word. He is the embodiment of the wisdom. He is the divine reason that orders the universe. He is, um, he is how God is speaking to us, not by just mere men, but now through the son of God. He continues on that he is the heir of all things. He owns all things. All things are under Jesus. And then it says that he is creator. It says that through him, he also created the world. And we see this, um, this aspect of, of Jesus throughout scripture. Um, and one of uh, the ways that it talks about God creating is through his word. Um, Psalm 33, six says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. And um, so there's this reference here that they would have understood that when he said that he was created through Jesus, through the word, that Jesus is the word that, and that all things were created. John one also tells us that Jesus, um, who was the word that through all things, through him, all things were made and without him, nothing was made that was made. So in Genesis 1-1, where it says, in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth, Jesus was there. Jesus's fingerprints are in Genesis 1. And we see um, through John and we see through Hebrews and these other places in scripture where it talks about through Jesus, all things were made, that there is nothing that has been made that has not gone through Jesus. And even more than that, because we hear that word, and for many years, that's really, um, when I thought of him as creator, I, I tended to only think of the fact that he made all the things. And, and that's kind of my limited understanding of creator. But in, um, in the first century, the idea of being creator carried much more significance than what we think of it today. The Greek word that it comes from actually carries this intonation of what comes first is chief. That because he created, he had to be there first. So it speaks to the eternal nature as much as it talks to his creativeness in creating the world, because he would have had to exist before all things in order for him to create all things. And because he created all things, he's in charge of all things. Um, again, John 1, 1 through 5 talks about how um, what comes first and exists over before all, he is in charge of all. So the fact that he's creator not only means that he created things, it not only means that he is eternal, it also means that he is sovereign, that he is the ruler of all things. If you think about the creator of a sculpture or the creator of, of a story, that person is existed before the sculpture did. And, and then the artist is in charge of how that sculpture is going to become what he intends it to be. And so being a creator is not just the fact that something, you create something, but it's also that you're in charge of that thing and that you are sovereign ruler over that thing. So he is creator, he is, he is how God speaks, he is the heir of all things, he is creator, he is the radiance of God's glory. 
He is the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is God in the flesh, all of God, all of his glory, not a shadow that we'll continue to see this theme of throughout um, the book of Hebrews, not a shadow that points us to the real thing, but he is the real thing himself. John 1.18 talks about how no one has ever seen God, that the only God who is at the Father's side has made him known, or the only Son, that, that Jesus is the visible glory of God, that no one could behold God's glory until Jesus. And that Greek word for radiance, it means a light flashing forth. It, Jesus is God's light shining, and it's a light that shatters darkness. John 1, 5 talks about how he is a light that shines in darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. Some of your versions may say understood it, but the literal term there is that God's light cannot be seized by darkness. It cannot be snuffed out. Did you know that the smallest amount of light will shatter any amount of darkness. And so wherever God's light goes, darkness cannot reign. And so Jesus is this light. He is the radiance, his glory. And it, it's God's full glory and it shines through Jesus. But not only that, he's the exact imprint. And as I said, we're gonna see this idea of shadows often brought up throughout the book of Hebrews, but the author of Hebrews is starting right here with this is no shadow. Jesus is not a shadow pointing us to something else. He is the thing. He is the real thing that we are, are being pointed to. He is the ultimate. He's the exact imprint, the exact representation of God. That Greek word for exact imprint, the literal word is for um, an engraving or an engraving tool. It's um, the word that was used for uh, like putting a likeness on a coin or um, on a wax seal. It, it, and it represents the authority of that figure. If you think about um, a coin um, with a uh, back, especially back in this day, um, a coin that would have had an imprint of a Roman emperor means that this coin carries the power of the empire for whatever he purposes it to be. Um, it, it, when they put a wax seal on a document, it carries forth the authority um, of that of the person and the character of that person. And so the fact that Jesus is the exact imprint carries this intonation that he has all the truth of the authority, the character of his father. In fact, the Greek word is spelled the same way as character, except it has a K instead of a C. Jesus is God, the son, completely and holy. He is not a shadow, but he is the exact representation of God, the full radiance of his glory in human nature. He also upholds the universe by the word of his power. And this means that he is literally, he is literally carrying the world, keeping it from falling and preserving it. This is one of my favorite characteristics of Jesus, especially when I feel like my world is falling apart. And y'all, 2020 has been very unsettling. But not once, I want you to hear this, not once has Jesus lost his grip on this world. 
Not for one second was he not in control. Because we get this picture in a couple verses. I'm going to read, and I want you to keep them in the back of your mind because we're going to get there um, towards the end of Hebrews. But in Hebrews 12, 26 through 29, we get the picture of what happens when he lets go. And so I want you to know, because this has not happened, um, that, that he is still holding this world together. Um, and he's, uh, so this is Hebrews 12, 26 through 29. It says, at that time, his voice shook the earth. And now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken will, may remain. In Mark 13, 24 through 27, it says, but in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heavens and the power in heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the son of man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. He is still holding everything together. And even though it has felt shaky, he has not lost control. And I know things aren't perfect here. And I know this year has been hard in so many ways, but I am so thankful that Jesus continues to keep it from falling, to carry this world, to preserve it. And it reminds me how powerful his word is. The word for word that's used here is this word rhema. It's the spoken word of God. And it's so powerful that it holds this universe together. The, the Greek word for power is dunamis. It's the word we get dynamite from and it's miraculous power and strength. I want you to know that his word is powerful. And it's part of the reason why I'm just so proud of y'all for doing the study and for coming to his word, because can I tell y'all the one thing that has held me together through um, hardships and it, it, not only a few years ago, um, but even this year, the thing that holds me together, the thing that grounds me, the thing that gives me the solid foundation to stand on has been his word. And it's been not only his word, but it's been coming together with other women around his word. Because there is power in this book we call the Bible. These aren't just ancient words that have no purpose for us today. Hebrews 4 talks about how it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The words that are in our scripture, our holy, sacred book, are just as powerful in our life today as they were 2000 years plus years ago when they were written. Jesus wasn't just this good guy who came and did us this favor taking on our punishment. Jesus wasn't just another man like the prophets. Jesus is God. He is creator and his power, his word has power and his coming has purpose because it says after making purification for sin, Jesus came to be the way maker between us and God the Father. And this so perfectly sets up this study and this lens through which we're going to look at Hebrews. Um, because we're going to see several references. And this is the first reference that we really see to the tabernacle and the sacrificial system that God had formally set up in the wilderness. 
Um, and I want to give y'all a little bit of background information right here in this in this part because I want you to understand what making purification for sin meant and what it would have meant to them in this audience and why the author of Hebrews continues to come back to what Jesus did as the way maker between us and God so that we do not have to go back because this is what they would have gone back to if they went back in the tabernacle um, and, and they had this sacrificial system. And I, I want y'all to hang with me here. I know this might be hard for some of y'all to hear and some of it's gonna be truthfully gross, but it wasn't until I sat with the truths that I'm about to share with you that I really began to understand what my sin cost and what Jesus's death bought for me, what his coming at Christmas was really about. Um, and we really see this precedence of, of the shedding of blood to cover sin. We see it right from the garden. And even though it wasn't fully uh, formally kind of set up until the wilderness, this idea of sacrifice to God and the shedding of blood to cover sin, we see it in precedence throughout the early parts of scripture in Genesis. Um, when Adam and Eve sinned and they recognized their nakedness, they were, they were exposed and they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. But God shed the blood of an animal and he provided a covering for them. Y'all, our God is so kind. He continues to provide a covering for us. And it is his kindness that does so through Jesus. So in the tabernacle, God was creating a way for his people to be purified from their sin. And the reason why is because he is holy. He is pure. And impurity cannot stand in the presence of a pure and holy God. And so it required a sacrifice for atonement, which is a big word that just means to make a payment that compensates for something bad. It's paying the price for the sin that separates us from our holy God. And each man would bring his sacrifice to the tabernacle or eventually to the temple, and he would kill the animal. And y'all, they would watch the blood flow knowing it was their sin. And the priests would take this blood and they would sprinkle it on the bronze altar that was in the courtyard. And we're talking about millions. In the wilderness, there were millions of Jews, not including the, the women and children um, who were in the wilderness who left Egypt. And the people of God had this physical reminder of their sin that every time they watched the blood of a goat or a bull or a lamb flow, it was a symbol of their sin being transferred to that animal and the animal's blood being spilled to cover over that sin, bringing them forgiveness and paying the price and covering them. And as hard as it is to admit it, part of the process of for us is recognizing our own sinfulness. And it's realizing that sin is sin is sin. And any amount of impurity taints the whole person. And our impure, sinful selves cannot approach our holy, pure, set-apart creator God. Leviticus 17.11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. And so God requires this, this system of, of bloodshed so that our sin can be covered. And on this side of the cross, that seems cruel and pagan. 
But we have to remember that what God designed in the tabernacle was never meant to be the forever plan. And we remember that the purpose of Hebrews is to show them how Jesus is the true lamb, the great high priest, the one worth following. And we see in his very next action, he sat down. Now this has a twofold meaning here. Um, to sit at someone's right hand, it says that he sat down at the right hand of majesty. That was the highest place of honor. But it has this other meaning. So Jesus, who has the name above all, he is at the right hand of, majesty, of, of the majesty. He's at the right hand of God. It is the highest honor in all of our, of our world. But it also shows the fulfillment of Jesus as the great high priest. That's a name we're going to see over and over in Hebrews of Jesus. He sat down. Y'all, priests didn't sit because the work was never done. With millions of Jews continually having to bring their sacrifices, there was a continual process of covering of the people's sin. It was continual. It was never complete. But Jesus sits because the work was finished on the cross. And we do not have to offer sacrifices anymore because the blood of Jesus did what the blood of bulls and goats and lambs could not. It is finished. And in doing so, Jesus became the way maker, the one whose name is higher. Jesus is how God speaks. He is the heir of all things. He is the creator who is eternal and sovereign. He is the radiance of the glory of God, God's light. He is the exact imprint of his nature, the exact representation of his character. The power of his word is what holds this universe together. He made purification for sin and he sat down. And the result is that he is superior to the angels and he is has the name that is more excellent than any name in heaven and on earth. Goodness, if that doesn't make me want to fall to my knees before Jesus, I know that some of this is hard to comprehend, and that's why I'm walking alongside you through this. Hebrew has a lot of cultural context, but it is my prayer that you will press through these hard truths of Hebrews so that you can find freedom. Because Jesus did the work, he made the way, he sat down. We just have to follow. My recommendation for this study is that you sit with each of these passages for about two days. Um, so I will post a teaching for Hebrews 2 on December 1st. And it's okay if you need a few extra days to meditate on this one. I know this passage has a lot to process. So before I go, I always love to pray over you. Let me do that now. Father, I just thank you so much for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for being our way maker. Thank you for being the one that, through whom all things were created. God, that you hold all things together, that you are creator, you are sovereign, you are eternal. Lord, thank you for making purification for our sin. Thank you for sitting at the right hand and finishing the work. Lord, it is only through you, it is only because of you, the way, the truth, and the life that we have any hope for eternity. And I thank you for who you are. Thank you for being our way maker. Lord, I pray as we move into Hebrews 2, God, that you would meet us in the pages of scripture. Lord, that your word would do what only it can do, that it would bring life to our life, our lives, that it would bring light 
into darkness, Lord, and that its power would change us as we draw closer to you. It's in your name I pray. Amen.